Sawbones is a show about medical history, and nothing the hosts say should be taken as medical advice or opinion. It's for fun. Can't you just have fun for an hour and not try to diagnose your mystery boil? We think you've earned it. Just sit back, relax, and enjoy a moment of distraction from that weird growth. You're worth it. <laughs> Hello, everybody, and welcome to Sawbones, marital tour of misguided medicine. I am your co-host, Justin McElroy. And I'm Sydney McElroy. Justin, you know how my dad likes to send me news articles a lot? All dads like to send things. <laughs> of a certain age, all dads like to send things. My dad uh, sends me new movie trailers and announcements that celebrities have died. Those are the two <laughs> things that I get well, from my dad. Dads love to tell you when... Anybody has died. When anybody has died. Especially celebrities, yes. That's a big dad thing. And I will say that along those lines, usually the news stories that my dad sends me are not necessarily cheerful ones. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Bit of a morbid streak. (laughs) Tommy Smurl. These are the things he usually likes to tell me about. And um, so when I got an email this past week from my dad with a news article in it, I was like, Dad... Things are pretty heavy. I don't know if I can handle this. Yeah. What it, what what have you brought me? Yeah, what what fresh hell have you delivered <laughs> to my doorstep? Uh, but what was inside was so what an, it was a nice little story, a nice little thing about the world and about medicine that I didn't know. It was a pleasant little, mostly pleasant little story, and uh, and it made for a really good episode. And so I thought it would be something that I could then share from my dad to me, to all of you. So um, this one's suggested by, by, by Tommy, Tommy Smurl, which I would be remiss if I didn't tell everybody about his podcast here. Yeah. Which is court appointed, mm-hmm. which he does with my uncle, Michael Meadows, who is a lawyer and it's sort of sort of sawbones like except for law. Yeah. So check that out. Yeah. Sydney you... and I have both been on episodes and uh, mm-hmm. every week they do a new one about law. It's like sawbones, but law. Yeah. Law bones. <laughs> They should have called it that. They should have called it that. I don't know why they didn't. Everybody would have really known what that meant, right? Just from reading it. The article that my dad sent me is about horseshoe crabs. Didn't see that one coming, did you, listener? No, I didn't. And I I have to say, when I think the subject line was, did you know this? (laughs) I did not. And then I opened it and it was an article about horseshoe crabs. And I was like, dad, what, what is this? And, uh, the reason that there are stories circulated about horseshoe crabs, and we'll get to it, is that there is a connection between the horseshoe crab and the COVID vaccines that are in development. I couldn't fathom it. That is where that is where this eventually is headed. Now, okay. it takes us a while to get there. Uh, so first of all, here's what you need to know about horseshoe crabs. They're not crabs. That's a really wild start. Of all the places I thought you'd start, that was not. Are they horseshoes? We should get the, clear this. They're out. neither. Uh, they're actually they're arthropods. They're not crustaceans. They're arthropods, which are 
so they're more closely related to spiders than they are crabs. Mm. Um, my, uh, my sibling Taylor referred to them when I was learning about all this, I was so fascinated. I was sharing these facts with people and Taylor said, oh yeah, those are, uh, tactical spiders because they were, they were tanks. Spiders <laughs> <and> tanks. <laughs> and if you've, if you haven't seen one, if you're, if you're sitting there thinking, have I seen one of these things? I'm not sure. Maybe just Google it up real quick. Just Google it up and look at a horseshoe crab while you're listening. They do kind of look like spiders in tanks. They do look like tactical spiders, I would say. Like, and make sure you look at the, like, flip them over too. Yeah. Look at both sides. I don't sides. know how you do that with a glossy JPEG. <laughs> well, there are pictures of both sides. Flip your monitor upside down. <laughs> Just Google both sides of. Both sides of horseshoe crab. That's where you get the detractors <laughs> and the people who are saying nice stuff about them. Um, Fair and balanced horseshoe crab coverage. They're they're wild looking. They're cool looking. I, it's one of those things where I know I had seen them, but then in my head when I heard the word horseshoe crab, that image did not appear. Mm-hmm. So I don't know that I had connected that that's what this thing was. Uh, so they have been around for like half a billion years, almost half a billion years. That's so many. Like before dinosaurs, there were horseshoe crabs, and they're still here. So I guess they won in that that's, in it, that sense. I tell you what's weird to think about is like. In the existence of this animal, we are but a blip. We are a blink in the eye of this mm-hmm. animal. And we show up and we're like, you're crabs. <laughs> like, 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 no. Um, no, we're not. But we'll be here long <laughs> after you're gone. And we've been here a while. So you go ahead and call us whatever you like there, you sad little organism. We call them. We, uh, one phrase I found a lot was walking fossils, which is kind of mean. Kind of mean. Like they're still here. Well, they ain't crabs. There are fossils that aren't walking. Those are fossils. No, like my dad is a walking fossil. <laughs> These are arthropods. These are arthropods. There are currently four species of them in various parts of the world, but we're going to focus uh, mainly on ones that live along the Atlantic coast of the U.S. as well as in the Gulf of Mexico called the Limulus polyphemus. Mm. Trips so, off the tongue. Yeah, I, I kind of like it. So why are we going to talk about these these limulus organisms? Uh, what's well, lim- what's limulus? That's the lim- limulus polyphemus. That's okay. the name. That's the scientific name. Okay. Of the horseshoe crab. Okay. Which is not a crab or a horseshoe. <laughs> you can call them tactical spiders if you yeah. prefer. It's uh, actually more accurate. <laughs> it is. So like I alluded to, they play a really important role in the development of a lot of drugs and vaccines and will do so eventually when the time comes in the COVID vaccine, because the blood of the limulus, uh, the horseshoe crab, is very important in this development. Now, before I tell you why, I need you to know that the blood of of the horseshoe crab is blue. Okay, And you can see (laughs) it's it's a light blue. Uh, it contains, and it's because, you know how we have hemoglobin that carries oxygen in our bodies? Yes, I do. They have hemocyanin, which contains copper. That's what the cyanin indicates. There's copper in there, and it makes it blue. Okay. So their blood is blue. That's cool. It's a, it's a really light blue. It When I was watching videos of them, like, taking blood from horseshoe crabs, it looks sort of like... Uh, you know the Smurf ice cream you can get at Kings Island? Oh, yes, I do. When it's melted? Mm-hmm. Like that. Okay, like melted Smurf ice cream. Right. It's like light blue. Light blue. Yeah. Uh, other than being blue, because that's not really the helpful part. It's just... It's cool. It's just wild. Uh, other than being blue, the blood has a factor in it that makes it very useful in checking for the safety 
of a vaccine or a drug that we're going to inject in a human. Okay. Okay. So let's go back to talk about how, how do we figure this out with yes, Dr. That is where I am at currently. Yes. I know this is like who in the world, right? Yeah. How did we, okay. Dr. The same guy looked at a horse and was like, I'm going to make glue out of that. <laughs> Dr. Frederick Bang discovered it. Okay. Good name. Fred Bang. Dr. Bang attended Johns Hopkins School of Medicine, uh, got back in like the 30s. Uh, he went on to focus on um, medical research largely, he got his MD and then decided like he wanted to do like the research end of things more so than the direct patient care end of things. Uh, he specialized in some specific areas of like parasitology, virology, pathology, um, and he had a, a very uh, specific interest in studying marine life. And the way that you could apply things that we learn from marine life to medical science. Mm -hmm. That was his like, he was uh, from descriptions. He sounds like a cool dude from descriptions. He was a very creative kind of out of the box thinker and looked at like the whole big picture and was able to find, as we'll see, find answers to like medical problems for humans in the marine world by studying the marine world. He also worked in public health and studied things like tropical diseases like malaria and that kind of thing. Anyway, so uh, he wanted to look at the circulatory systems of marine animals because in some marine creatures like horseshoe crabs, you can actually study their circulatory system while they're still alive, mm. which is like harder to do Right in us, for instance, especially back then. Like nowadays we can inject dye and take pictures of you and yeah, things well. like that. But, and we can learn some things, but to, to investigate an entire circulatory system while an animal was still alive was still hard to do. Um, and so he was doing this in horseshoe crabs as a way to try to understand how our circulatory system works. Um, it's good to know that theirs are a little different in, so in humans, ours is fairly closed right so like we have little capillaries tiny little blood vessels we have veins we have mm -hmm. arteries and the blood goes through it all those things and, and doesn't just like collect in big giant open spaces in our body mm -hmm. intentionally yeah. <laughs> anyway well in horseshoe crabs it's different so the blood goes from these vessels into like these big what are called sinuses where it can have direct contact with different tissues within the horseshoe crab. Hmm. Now, the reason that this is important to know is that if a bacteria invader gets in us, us humans, it has to go through like all these little blood vessels, right? right. Probably like a capillary first um, before it's going to get anywhere to do any damage. And what do we have in our blood? Hemoglobin. Well, that and white blood cells. Ah, yes. We have an army to protect us. So hopefully, because that's the way invaders enter our body, we can stop them. Obviously, we don't always. We get infections. But, like, that's why it works that way. In horseshoe crabs, because they have a more open, only a partially closed, partially open circulatory system, if one of those little invaders gets in, it can get into one of these big pooled areas of blood directly in contact with a tissue really easily. Mm. So that's bad, right? Right. And they have these big shells to protect them, but all you need is a teeny, teeny little crack for a bacteria to get in, and it can instantly have access to the whole horseshoe crab. Mm. Bad for the crab. Very vulnerable. Very vulnerable. So they rely on a different kind of mechanism 
to defend them from invaders. And this is where Bang comes in, Dr. Bang. He noticed that in a particular crab that had died, all of its blue blood had clotted into like a jelly mass, a big blue jello. Got it. Okay. And he examined the crab and he found that it had been infected with a strain of uh, Vibrio bacteria, which is uh, in the cholera genus related to cholera. All right. So he had, this crab had been infected with this bacteria and all of its blood had clotted. And he found that that wasn't usually what happened when crabs died. And that didn't happen with every bacteria. And that didn't even happen with... I, he, he was still trying to figure out, like, why in this particular crab? What triggered this in this... You know what I mean? Yeah. So something weird about the bug that it had gotten triggered right. this response. Triggered this response. Uh, and so what he was eventually able to deduce is that it seemed like it only happened with gram-negative bacteria, which the important thing to know here is that we use a stain called a gram stain that turns some things pink and some things purple, and it helps us figure out what kind of germ it is. That's really all you need to know. These are lab definitions. So he figured out that gram-negative bacteria are the problem. Right. Okay. Uh, and even when he would like heat kill gram negative bacteria and then introduce them to the crab blood, it's still clotted. Huh. So even dead gram negative bacteria were causing this. Weird. Which he really didn't understand. So it has something to do with the something that's in the blood more than something that's in the something that it's doing. Well, it's definitely the the bacteria, but it's not just the bacteria. Got it. This is where Dr. Jack Levin comes in. So, and this is one of these like happy coincidences. So Dr. Bang needs somebody, he's doing these investigations and he needs some help. And so he talks to somebody, one of his colleagues that he's working with and he's like, I need another person to help me with all this work. I I think I'm onto something, but. And this this guy's like, you gotta get Jack. (laughs) He's like, well, you need a hematologist. You need somebody who understands blood. I know this other guy. Dr. Jack Levin, he's a hematologist. Why don't you get him to work with you? Well, it just so happens that Dr. Jack Levin had been investigating something called endotoxin, which is a toxin produced. You're about to say he owned a bunch of horseshoe crabs. That would have been quite a thing. (laughs) No, he was investigating endotoxin, which is produced by gram negative bacteria. And he thought, and, and by the way, it should, just to give you a point of reference, endotoxins in human bodies can wreak a lot of havoc they cause a lot of what we think of as sepsis and septic shock come from these endotoxins released by gram-negative bacteria Mm -hmm. they can make your blood pressure drop really low they can um, give you really high fever they can make you really sick so he's investigating endotoxins he happens to get contacted by dr bang to say will you come help me understand what is happening in these clotted you know crabs Mm -hmm so to speak. And Dr. Levin says, oh my gosh, I, it's an endotoxin. It must be an endotoxin because even if you kill the bacteria, the endotoxin is still there. So, so he'd been investigating endotoxin in humans and rabbits. The two minds come together and they say, okay, there is something in the, in the crab blood that when it comes in contact with an endotoxin from a gram negative bacteria that makes it clot. Right? Right. Okay. So they're very excited. I'm excited. (laughs) Are you excited? excited. I'm excited. So 
the crabs, the, the, I keep calling them crabs. I know they're not crabs, but like, what else am I going to well, call yeah, them? We all, we all, we're yeah. all friends here. <laughs> the limulus. The limulus. The limulus. Uh, they have amoebocytes, which are like their white blood cells, basically. And they do all the stuff that white blood cells do. They engulf stuff and they repair damage and they carry things around. They're filled with these little granules. And these granules contain something called coagulogen. And what they discovered is that when a bacterial endotoxin is sensed in the environment, Mm -hmm. then these little amoebocytes will change shape and release all of this coagulogen and they will instantly clot all the blood right around it, Mm. trapping whatever is in it, including bacteria and their endotoxins. All trapped. It's sort of like, you remember in Fringe when they would amber something? Yes. When there was a rift between the universes and the only way to stop it is just to like throw the amber in and freeze everything there, trap it forever. Yeah. What? No, I just, I think that fringe references are are ones that everybody's going to enjoy. And I think that there's probably at least a few people who are like, yes, yes, yes. More fringe talk, please. Please talk more about fringe. I, I would, I would. Devote a whole to talk about podcast fringe. to Fringe if you would let me. Um, um, I have a question. Does it does it is it able to have this reaction without killing the crab? It doesn't kill the crab. It's just localized. It's just in that it one better, little area. It doesn't feel good though. Like oh, so my blood just went to gummy. Oh <laughs> well, no, my blood's gone gummy. Well, if you think about where it's think about this though. Okay, when bacteria when when a germ gets in you, mm-hmm. it doesn't happen much anymore. <laughs> but go on. <laughs> Theoretically, like, remember germ exposure. Let's say that a germ gets in you through your skin. Mm-hmm. It happens like at a point where you've had an abrasion, a cut, something, right? Like your skin has been disrupted. Yes. Yes. The yes. layer has been disrupted. So the germ gets in there. This That is where the reaction would take place in the crab. So like there's a little break in the shell right at that place. The bacteria gets in right there. The blood is present. Bam. It gets clotted. Got it. So it makes sense. It actually is good in the sense that not only does it trap the bacteria, but also it clots off the place where the abrasion has taken place. That's the same thing that happens in our bodies. Okay. Right. That's why you don't. That's why, you know, when you get a cut, you clot so that it doesn't continue to bleed. Okay. So it makes total sense. It's how the horseshoe crabs defend themselves from bacterial invaders. And it's this really cool system that bang and leaven. Did all their studies in their lab and figured out. It's all cool. My only question is like, who? who wh- why do we care? <laughs> That's exactly what I'm going to address after we go to the billing department. <sighs> Let's go. The medicines, the medicines that escalate macabre for the mouth. We have just started rehearsing for the summer theater. That's right. Summer starts in March around these parts, and that means we don't have much time at all in the evenings to make dinner. But we will not be just consuming Wendy's, uh, although there will be some Wendy's consumed, but we are going to have a little extra help with Factor, which delivers ready-to-eat delicious meals right to your door, and not like junky stuff you get out of the freezer aisle, whatever. This is real high-quality, chef-crafted stuff that in two minutes you're ready to eat it. I'm talking about some Southwestern-style turkey and mac. I think this week I'm going to be enjoying a shredded chicken taco bowl is 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 part of my plan. Um, but they got, like, fancy stuff. Listen to this. Where are you going to get this? Truffle butter filet mignon. I mean, seriously? From, from, from a, a box? 
pre-prepared. All I got at two minutes. I'm eating filet mignon. That sounds delicious. Yeah, it sounds delicious. And you can give these a try. And it's not just these meals. We're talking pancakes, smoothies. They got some great wellness shots that are surprisingly delicious. And the meals you just eat and eat. There's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup. Get as much as you need by choosing your meals every week. You're going to get exactly what you want. No surprises here. Uh, and the meals, I can say, are delicious. So what do you got to lose? Head on over to factormeals.com slash sawbones50 and use code sawbones50 to get 50% off. That's code sawbones50 at factormeals.com slash sawbones50 to get 50% off. Sydney, you know how you're always saying that you'd like to build a Justin McQuarrie fan site full of all your favorite quotes, clips, videos, and hunky pictures of beloved podcaster Justin McElroy? I don't remember. Well, there's that- no need to wait any longer, Sydney, because Squarespace is going to make it easier than you could possibly believe to make a website uh, all about your favorite hunky podcasting superstar. I don't think I was going Squarespace, to— Squarespace, what is it? It's a tool—think of it as— the palette, the palette of a web design artist. But you don't have to be a web design artist. You could just take stuff off the palette that is created by real people that know what they're really doing and put it from the palette onto the easel. The metaphor is broken down. Basically, you're going to be able to create great-looking websites that have fantastic customer support and help you unlock your creativity and do whatever you want to with your small business or podcaster obsession. You can sell products. You can uh, post your videos. You can share your stories about how Justin has shaped your life and is also a fantastic father. Folks, you got to stop waiting to make your Justin McElroy fan site. Go to squarespace.com slash sawbones for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch your Justin McElroy fan site, use offer code sawbones to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Okay, that's enough waiting. I waited through that entire great ad. I hope everybody is enjoying that sponsor. And now you're going to tell me why I care about horseshoe crab blood. It it is so human that your first question is, but how does this apply to me? (laughs) Yeah. I adore humanity that we observe these fascinating things in the natural world around us. And our inclination is, okay, but how does that help me? I'm not a horseshoe crab. I don't have eons to to <laughs> ponder over this stuff. I got to get better now. Well, when we make something that we intend to put inside a human body, yeah. like, a, like a drug, like a vaccine, a, a medicine. Huh? A pickle. Okay. We don't use this on pickles, Captain I should Crunch. say. Okay. Or Captain Crunch. This is for like medicine. Not okay. for you could have said medicine. Yeah. That would have been more accurate language. Although to be fair, if you are gonna make pickles and sell them to humans, you want to make sure that they don't have infect like infectious bacteria in them either. Unless that's what you want, and that's like hot and spicy and infectious. You ever have those? The little circles. It's <laughs> a real caveat and tour there. Um <laughs> I mean it says it does what it says in the tin, folks. It's, it says <laughs> infectious right there on the pickles. So we want to make zesty. sure they slip it in in the middle. So it's hot and spicy and infectious and, and zesty. zesty. Uh huh. You'd fall for that because of all the adjectives. Look at all these adjectives. Yeah. It's new, improved. <laughs> so anyway, this we want to make things better and not worse. And so we want to make sure that <laughs> <Usually>. there aren't <laughs> bacteria in whatever we're putting in your body, right? Because then they would cause an infection, and that would make things worse. Uh, 
this is also true for all the equipment that is used for that. So, like, if you think about an IV, like the tubing and all that kind of stuff, we want to make sure all that stuff is sterile, right? No bacteria, no germs, no nothing on it so that we make you better. Um, the way that we have figured this out prior to this amazing uh, horseshoe crab discovery that, that we have just begun to uncover. The way that we used to figure this out was called the rabbit pyrogen test. And to be fair, this test is still in use today. So when I say used to figure things out, it is still used today, although not nearly as often as it used to be used. But back in the early 1900s, when we first started making drugs that we could inject in people, mm -hmm. first started making these things and wanted to like make sure that they were safe and not contaminated, it was really hard to figure that out. We didn't have a lot of great methods to know. Like, I mean, germs are really small. <laughs> so small. And you can't see them. And so how do we figure out if we, you know, it's really easy to accidentally get a germ in there. This, we, we have learned this very recently yeah. in many ways. No matter how careful you are, sometimes germs get in. So, um, and, and they knew at that point to heat things up to kill the bacteria. But that even after that, sometimes there was something in there, endotoxin, that mm -hmm. could make people sick. So they started doing the rabbit pyrogen test, which was basically we will, once we've made it all up and we think it's all sterile, we'll inject it into a rabbit and see if they get a fever. That's not very nice. Pyrogen fever causing. Oh, got it. Yeah. So a, a test to cause a fever in a rabbit is what they would do. Um, and if they did, maybe there's a bacteria there, so let's not use this. If the rabbit was fine, great. We can use this. And the test would become standardized, of course, uh, and like not just as simple as, hey, inject this in the bunny and see how the bunny does. What's the scale of something like this? Like, are we having to do this like for every dose, once per like injection? Like, how are we, I mean, is this like a test? That's for the like, batch. For a batch. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't know when they first developed the test in 19, whatever, 14 or whatever. I don't know what they were okay. doing. But like uh, by today's standards, it would be like a batch. Okay. You, you wouldn't do this. Um, and again, this test is not done very often today, but I, I will tell you, it is still used in some sp very specific cases today. Um, but the problem, you can imagine there are a ton of difficulties with this. First of all, you need a lot of rabbits. Yeah. Lots of them. And they're not loving it. No. Uh, second, you have to test each drug on multiple rabbits because one could be a fluke. So, like, you got to do it three times. Maybe that you know? one rabbit's just sick. Well, that's the other thing. You got to make sure the rabbits aren't sick. So you have to measure their temperatures for, like, a couple weeks beforehand and make sure that they're staying normal. And after, I mean, like, it's a whole thing to make sure that this fever is actually caused, if the rabbit gets a fever, is actually caused by whatever you put in the rabbit. Right. Um, also, uh, the rabbits don't necessarily survive mm -hmm. this encounter, which is bad. Mm -hmm. We don't like that. And it can take up to 48 hours for the whole process. So it takes a long time. Okay. It's a, it's not a great test. By early 1900 standards. Crushing it. Yes. But by today's standards, we could probably do something better. Um, what Bang and Levin had found was another way of detecting bacterial endotoxin that could contaminate a drug that's mm. what they've just found right because that's what the horseshoe crab stuff does yeah well why don't we just use this in humans yeah wouldn't that be better 
Certainly. Than the rabbit. for the rabbits. Yes. So by the 70s, they had produced the limulus amoebocyte lysate. And what this means, do you want to know? Mm-hmm. You look like you're about to ask. Oh, uh, yeah. Okay. Lysate is the stuff that comes out of cells when they're broken apart or lysed. Okay. That's when a cell is split. It's lysed. Uh, and so the lysate is the stuff inside. Mm-hmm. Right. So basically you take some blood from one of these crabs. You spin it in a centrifuge. You separate out of the cells. They, they like form a little pellet. Those are just the cell parts, not okay. the plasma part, just the cell parts. You put these pellets in a solution. You add some sterile water. The water make the cells will, when you put the water in there, they'll try to absorb it all and they'll explode. Cool. They'll suck it all up and explode. And that releases all of this coagulogen stuff right into the water. You filter it all until you just get the coagulogen. Then you freeze dry that. And then you've got a powder that you can reconstitute and add to whatever you are testing for the presence of endotoxin. If it, if it congeals, then you got a problem. And if it doesn't, you don't. Okay. There you go. Um, uh, it, and it was really simple. All you had to do is like you put it in there. 45 minutes later, you flip the tube upside down. If it has clotted, you'll have a clot stuck to the top of the tube. Easy. Yeah. So this this test that they developed was way faster and easier and better for the rabbits to use on any number of pharmaceuticals that were being developed or vaccines that were being developed. Um, and uh, the other part you're probably wondering is the horseshoe crabs. Because yes. this test is a lot easier for humans to do and the storage and all these other things. But the crabs are like, can we get a vote? Right. Uh, so here's here's the truth. You don't have... It is not intrinsic to the process that the horseshoe crab dies. In fact... The attempt is not to kill the horseshoe crab. Fantastic. It Just drawing blood from the... They don't draw all the blood out of the horseshoe crab. So just taking blood from the horseshoe crab does not kill the horseshoe crab. Now, because of the whole process, just taking them out of the water and putting them in the thing and putting the catheter in them, the whole... And then having to put them back in the water within a certain amount of time, because of all that, some, some do die. I mean, it would be a lie to say that they all make it. And the numbers... It's hard to find out. Like some will say as few as 5% of the horseshoe crabs do not survive the process. Some say 30% don't. Um, I'll get into there are some newer methods that have 100% survival rates. Uh, But they have better odds than the rabbits. Right. I would say. Which are cuter? I don't know. Okay. I think that's a matter of opinion. Okay. I have ordered. I think I've shared mine. because uh, Because of all this that I've read, I've actually ordered a plush horseshoe crab that should be here tomorrow my kids will love that i'm very excited it's for me Mm, i know but i was trying to be generous (laughs) and that's not a joke i really did sorry Uh, no well of course you're supposed to run all purchases by me your (laughs) husband for approval this is our our our, uh, agreement that we put in our vows when you see the plush horseshoe crab arrive on the doorstep that is me Oh, yeah, because if you hadn't told me, I would have seen a plush horseshoe crab show up and be like, uh, who, who in our household? Uh, so the LAL test 
the horseshoe crab test took off and was soon used in most cases instead of the rabbit pyrogen test. Um, Like I said, there's still specific few reasons why the rabbit pyrogen test is in use, but for the most part, it is, it has fallen out of favor. Probably because it sounds like rapid. (laughs) So people think it's fast. uh, I could get into why, but it would, it would take a step. It'd be a whole other thing It'd be so boring probably too, right? I don't know that it is of particular interest to the, you can research it if you're interested in it, but I, there are reasons why why this test doesn't work for everything. So uh, the, the labs that make this stuff have been interviewed now recently uh, by various members of the media to talk about like, hey, so you're going to have to test this COVID vaccine. Do we, have, uh, do we have enough crabs? Are you ready? And so far, everybody's been like, yeah, it actually doesn't take a lot to. <laughs> it's, we're fine. So far, everybody seems fine to test the the COVID vaccines. Like, are you hearing this? (laughs) So far, it seems like we're going to be okay. They they do not seem upset or worried about it, but it has turned the spotlight on this kind of strange little part of um, like medical drug development that I think a lot of us probably aren't familiar with. And you're probably, if you're like me, when you read these kinds of stories, because I I mean I have lived in the science world for a long time and so I am used to the idea of like feeling sad and bad about the animals that are used yeah in these I am used to that um that ethical quandary but so for me when I hear this I'm like well I think rabbits are great and I would rather us not do this if there's something else we could do please and i would rather us not do this to horseshoe crabs if there's something else we could Mm -hmm. do please isn't there something we could isn't there a better way there's Uh, got to be a better way (laughs) so there are other tests there are new tests uh that have that have been developed to try to not do these things Mm -hmm. in order to make sure that the drugs and vaccines that we're putting in our human bodies are not contaminated. There's one that's called um, a monocyte activation test, and it looks for the release of certain substances and the presence of contamination. And there's another one that is basically it's genetic engineering. They just took the gene from the horseshoe crab that does this, plugged it into the DNA of like a yeast cell or something. You can grow those in Petri dishes Mm -hmm. and it makes the coagulogen. So there you go. There you go. You just produce it in your lab. No animals are harmed in that process. Didn't need those crabs. Except for like the yeast, I guess, but yeah. or whatever microorganism. You can use whatever microorganism. But and then they've they've even used things from other uh, animals. Like it doesn't even have to be the horseshoe crab at that point. If you can just find something that clots in the presence of endotoxin, there you go. You just need to add that in there. So they have found ways since 2003, they've developed one of these um, recombinant ones, basically synthetic ones made in a lab kind of thing. Um, Synthetic in the sense that they're made in a lab, but it is still the real stuff. We're just using different organisms to produce it, Hmm. uh, which is a cool thing about genetic engineering. Same basic idea. Uh, They have made other ones since then. They've been approved for use in Europe as recently as this past June, like just a couple months ago. in the U.S., they're still not fully approved for use as like equal to the rabbit pyrogen test or the uh, LAL, the limulus amoebocyte mm-hmm. uh, lysate test. Reason for that is tough. I'm not sure. I've been trying to. This is the part that I've been trying to untangle the mystery and all this for me. 
So this test seems to work. It, for You would have no reason to think it wouldn't work just as well, right? Mm-hmm. And Europe has decided it does. In the U.S., we're still saying, like, look, labs can use it, but before they use it, they have to go through a lot of hoops to prove that it's going to be sufficient, which is, for most of these labs, they're just saying, well, we'll stick with the crabs. Right. We're not going to do all this. We'll stick with crabs. Um, and the crabs are like, it actually doesn't sound that bad. You guys should try it, honestly. <laughs> uh, we'll fill out the forms if that's the concern. This is where things get really complicated. And we and when we get into this, and I have said, I, I try to be really clear on the show about what I'm not an expert in. And when it comes to like marine life management and ecosystems and the ecology of this, obviously I am not. I don't have a degree in any of those things. Mm-hmm. I I understand, though, that there are a lot of different pressures here. So harvesting, harvesting blood from horseshoe crabs to continue to test our drugs and vaccines and keep us safe is maybe the pressure that is keeping them alive, but is also a reason that their populations are declining. They've been somewhat steady in the last few years, but overall they've declined. Okay. And the reason is that they're used throughout the world, horseshoe crabs, as like bait and um, I think in some places as food and then also for these tests. And so because of all those reasons, they've been threatened before as mm-hmm. like we could we could accidentally destroy all the horseshoe crabs on the planet which seems i mean right bad that's bad um but at the same time the thought that like well let's not do this anymore let's not bleed them let's do these other things and leave them alone a lot of the preservation efforts are only because of that Mm. and so there's a fear that if they're not necessary for human use anymore we'll just forget about them and we won't work so hard to preserve them and then perhaps they could vanish, um, which is, it's crappy. If you're thinking, well, that's crappy. So because yes. they're good to us, we'll keep them alive. But as soon as they stop being good for us, we won't keep them alive. Yeah, it's crappy. I mean, I agree. It's a, <laughs> yeah. it's really crappy. Um, I don't know what the answer is. I know I found at least one place where they're trying to farm them, where they like, and that's when I said there was a place that claimed 100% survival rate. There was at least one place where they've been able to like, let them live in kip- captivity they feed them. They care for them. They claim that the products that come out of these horseshoe crabs are actually superior because these crabs are healthier yeah. and better off. Um, they've said that the crabs will actually lay eggs, which that was the big question. Would they even reproduce in that kind of scenario? They've said that they can and that 100% of them survive the process because they're so much better cared for and healthier in the interim. Um, so is it? would it be possible to do that on a large scale? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. And then if, if this recombinant test gets approved, will anybody want to do that or will they prefer to just do the recombinant test? I don't know. A lot of questions. I suddenly care a great deal about horseshoe crabs. I need to pr- protect them. Well, I, yeah. I mean, they've been around since like 450 million years. Yeah, we don't want to mess that up. We don't want to mess that streak up. You can, uh, there are videos, if this is your thing, there are lots of videos of them mating. Um, 
on, on beaches. Good uh, news for perverts. Uh, no, along the Atlantic coast, because when they, they all come out and mate at the same time. So like the, nice. the, the, the female will like lay her eggs along the beach. She'll like scoot through the wet sand and like lay eggs, ton, tons of eggs, lots and lots of eggs. And then the males will come and fertilize them. But like a bunch will come. Anyway, you can look in the beaches are just like blanketed in horseshoe crabs at a certain time of the year. Um, it's a big event. People come out to see all the horseshoe crabs. I want like, uh, all the horseshoe crabs doing it. Well, no, it's life. It's, it's beautiful. beautiful. It and, is beautiful. Anyway, and, and I also would say just on that last note, this is probably a very important industry for very specific parts of the world. This this horseshoe crab blood harvesting industry. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that sounds really horrible to put it like that blood harvesting industry but 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 i mean i i would say that there's also like some pressures of like hey but we need this business like to survive these are our jobs this is our livelihood so it's a complicated thing you know i want to save the horseshoe crabs obviously i want us to keep testing our vaccines and medications as rigorously as we always have for contamination i want people to have jobs Meanwhile, rabbits are like, I don't know, choosing between these two options, which are your (laughs) only two options that you have is tough. I don't know. Let us know what you figure out. We're going to go back to the Warren. I would prefer we not do that to bunnies either. I am on board with all these things. List the animals you want to take their blood. Go. (laughs) (laughs) I believe that science, when applied through a, a lens of morality can can do all these things yeah we can achieve all these goals um here's hoping but but we're not quite there yet obviously thank you so much for listening to our podcast sawbones uh if you want to share the show with people that's the only way pretty much that we uh grow and in these times i feel like it's a really good kind of show to listen to uh just you know send them a link we're on all the platforms sawbonesshow.com i think is our our website if you want to start there wherever it's all good uh, um, if you see a horseshoe crab, look, but don't touch. Mm. Leave them be. There are some places where I think it's illegal to pick them up. Thanks so much uh, <laughs> to the taxpayers for the use of their song Medicines, which is the intro and outro of our program. And thanks to you for listening. Really appreciate you. I hope you are hanging in there. Thank you, Dad, for this article. And thank you, Tommy Smurl. Uh, that is going to do it for us. Uh, but be sure to join us again next week for Sawbones. But until then, my name is Justin McElroy. I'm Sydney McElroy. And as always, don't drill a hole in your head. Fun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported. Hey, you like movies? What about coming up with movie ideas over the course of an hour? Because that's what we do every week on Story Break, a writer's room podcast where three Hollywood professionals have an hour to come up with a pitch for a movie or TV show based off of totally zany prompts. Like that time we reimagined Star Wars based on our phone's autocomplete. Luke Skywalker is a family man and it's Star Wars, but it's a good idea. (laughs) How about that time we broke the story of a bunch of Disney Channel original movies based solely on the title and the poster? Okay, Sarah Hyland is a 50-foot woman. Let's just go with it, guys. Or the time we finally cracked the Adobe Photoshop feature film. Stamp tool is your Woody, and then the autofill is the new Buzz Lightyear. (laughs) Join us as we have a good time imagining all the movies Hollywood is too cowardly to make. Story Break comes out every Thursday on Maximum Fun. I don't know why I'm using this voice now.